1 Samuel chapter 28. We're going to continue our study. And a couple weeks ago, I had been in Ezekiel, and we were talking about a revival in a boneyard. Interesting passage of Scripture there. Tonight, we're going to be talking about um, the witch of Endor. And I've titled this one, Desperate Times Call for Desperate Measures. As you're finding your place there, just a kind of by way of introduction here tonight, demons are very much real in the world that we live in. Uh, in the very beginning of creation, there was an innumerable number of angels created by God instantaneously, just like that. Uh, they don't uh, marry like we do and, and give birth to new angels. They were just all made at one time. And all of those angels were made in what I always like to call an unconfirmed state of holiness. Adam and Eve were created in the same way. God had given them free will, but He made them holy initially, but it was an unconfirmed state of holiness. And then through their decision, did y'all see that thing? He's like, go on, preach. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think all this is here is because I'm talking about demons. That's what Every one of these flies is probably a little demon flying around. So these angels in this unconfirmed state of holiness, a third of the angels that God had created initially had chosen to rebel against God, Satan being the leader of that, and each one of them were then confirmed in an eternal state of unholiness. And now today they are all demons or devils is how the Bible refers to them. We often say the devil, but to be honest with you, all of the fallen angels are devils. And then one particular angel whose name was Lucifer is referred to as Satan. But demons are very real um, as they rebelled against God, they were cast down to that position of now as we refer, we refer to them as demons. And if you don't believe in demons, then you must not believe in angels either because both are very much real and God is working uh, through supernatural means all around the world constantly in every one of our lives and all the lives of other people. And He's using the, the angels to accomplish His will, but also... He allows the demons to do certain things. Is he up above me or something? He's on my head? Oh, his head. Okay. I don't want one of those Mike Pence moments up here and little flies sitting on my head. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But these demons, let's get back to some. This is serious. These angels, these demons, very much real, very much active in the world. And I'm going to give you a lot of, I think, very interesting material tonight. I, I hope. It was interesting to me as I'm studying it out and and I've got a message that I want to prepare sometime in the future that goes a little deeper into some of this, but I think tonight this will be a good time to address it in our passage that we're going to be looking at. Demons are continuously active in the world through, through loud efforts, but also through quieter efforts. You know, a demon will not always reveal himself in your life. He may very well be there, but he's being very quiet, very tactful in what he's doing, but what, he's, what he is doing is he's encouraging you or me to continue to live in defiance against a holy and righteous God. Humans have always sought special information about the future and or special knowledge about changing a particular situation. Demons become active in these efforts when people seek knowledge or help without God. If I go to a medium or I go to a... Um, as the Bible would refer to it, a soothsayer or someone who uh, wants to show me my signs from 
some type of um, astrology or anything like that, if I go in that direction seeking extra information or special knowledge outside of God, I am, I am welcoming demons into my life. All of that is a gateway. Tarot cards, Ouija boards, spirit crystals, trinkets and crosses and things that we hang around ourselves and we grab a hold of. Every bit of that is a gateway for demons to enter into your life and into my life. In our text tonight, Saul, the king of Israel, seeks the help of demons in, in order to gain special knowledge. Saul found himself in the midst of pretty desperate times, and so that's why I called the message, Desperate Times, call for desperate measures. And Saul is going to make his way down to Endor, and there he's going to find a witch, and he's going to utilize her demonic um, abilities, I guess, or, or friendship with demons in order to get some special information that otherwise he could not get. So let's start reading tonight. We're going to pick up in verse 3. I'd said verse, uh, well, maybe I didn't tell you the verses, but it's 1 Samuel chapter 28. I'm just going to start in verse 3, though you could read the whole chapter, but we'll just start in verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. Let's pray. Father, I just want to ask you to help me tonight, Lord. Father, I know this, this particular topic is something that I believe is very, very valuable for our understanding as believers. Simply because as we look across our nation, we find that many, 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 whether they uh, claim to be atheists, agnostic, or even professing Christians, are influenced very heavily by by demons, and their activity in our lives is all around us. And so, Lord, I know this doesn't honor you. Maybe this is what quenches your power in our lives. Lord, I believe it probably is. Maybe this is what causes us not to step out by faith and go forth with the boldness of the first century Christians to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost and dying. Lord, maybe it hinders different things in this church or in our lives or in our families, whatever it might be, Lord. Uh, I just ask tonight, Lord, that you'd humbly help me as I, uh, that you'd help me, Lord, as I'm humble before you, that you'd help me to be filled with the Spirit of God and to preach the message that you want me to preach tonight. Lord, I pray you'd give great understanding to your people. We pray Christ, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, would be exalted tonight above all things. And Father, will you help us now? In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so we go into verses 3 through 8 as we've already read them. First off, I want to talk to you about this desperate man that's mentioned here. You know, as I read in those passages, you see that Saul is desperate for something. You find that his desperate times are this. The Philistines have gathered against the nation of Israel. Saul is the king of the nation. He wants a victory. Prior to this, he was chasing David, trying to take his life. 
rebelling against God every time God would tell him to do something. And during his rebellion, finally God goes silent. And then to top it off, the prophet Samuel, who was the one who anointed Saul to be king and then later anointed David to be the, the, uh, the one to come after Saul, Samuel's dead. So Saul is going and he's looking for answers and he's trying to use the same old tactics. He's going to, uh, he's going to look to his dreams as mentioned in, in um, verse 6, but God's not speaking to him through his dreams. He's going to use the Urim and that was something that the high priest kept behind the breastplate uh, of his priestly garb and it was two stones and they would often use that in order to tell them God's will or direction for the nation. God wasn't speaking through the Urim. And then he would also seek out the prophets, but God was not speaking through the prophets. God had gone silent in the life of Saul. And it was because Saul had, had really yet to go to God and confess his sin and recognized that he had come short of what God had told him to do. And he sort of justified everything. Well, he still needs answers. And so during these desperate times... He's seeking some type of direction, some type of guidance, but God is not speaking to him. You know, the Bible says if we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. Somebody says, yeah, but I pray. and seems like God hears me even though I'm living in open sin. You know, be mindful. The demons can be very deceiving. And there are supernatural beings that are far more powerful than us. They're not more powerful than God, but they are more powerful than us. And they can deceive us to assume that that's God at work when in fact it's not God at work. If we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us and sin keeps us out of God's presence. In this case, Saul was in the midst of very desperate times, seeking guidance, guilty of rebellion, no confession. God had taken the kingdom from him and he's looking for answers. So it brings him to his desperate measures. Saul seeks divine help but not from God. Instead of going to the temple, grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar, making the necessary sacrifice, and begging God to forgive him for his rebellion so that he might hear God again, instead, in his calloused, hardened, bitter heart, he seeks information from demons instead of the divine. I mean, how tragic is that? We find that he's actually changed his standards. If you look at verse 3, it says, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. You know what he had? He had some standards. Prior to this event where he sought out this information from these demons, he had some standards. And the standards were because he was walking close to God. A person that slips away from God, a person that gets hard towards God, will often change their stance or their standards. Desperation tends to cause people to change. In the case of a once faithful preacher, he may change his message in order to get more meetings. Maybe because his bills are added up and adding up and people don't like what he's preaching anymore, so he's going to compromise, change his message so that he can get a few more meetings. A pastor of a small church who wants more numbers may end up changing the standards of music in the church simply because he's not getting what he wants and he needs to see some, some numbers, so he's going to change his music standards. A Christian may change churches to better accommodate their sinful lifestyle. 
And you know good and well that happens probably every day in the United States of America. That church preached to get something I'm doing, not I'm just going to go to the next church down the street. That's, uh, that's where we get a lot of church splits often. Prior to Saul making this decision in these desperate times to seek out knowledge that God would not give him, prior to that he had drove, dri- or driven all of these devils out and now he seeks after the devils in order to get some type of special revelation. Desperate. He was a desperate man. A desperate man. Number two tonight, as we move to the next part, this desperate man ends up taking advantage of a devil's effort. Okay, that's the next point if you're taking notes. A devil's effort. That'll bring us into verses 9 through 10. We didn't read those yet, so let's read those together. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then, lest thou snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swear to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Saul had guised himself or disguised himself, went down to Andor, found the witch in Andor, and actually speaks to her because he wants her to conjure up someone who has died. And he goes to the witch, and here we find that the witch recognizes that God has already condemned witchcraft. And under, if you're taking notes, Roman numeral 2 was a devil's effort. Put down letter A, devils are condemned by God. I'm going to show you in the Bible a few passages tonight. I want you to go back to Leviticus 19 and then follow along with me. Maybe highlight these in your Bible. It'll be good. So Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31. We read, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. There's one passage, turn over to chapter 20 with me to the next chapter and look at verse 6. It says, And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Can you believe that Saul was not smart enough to realize that if he went to the witch of Andor, his hopes of restoring his fellowship or relationship with God Almighty was going to come to its end because of what it says here in the book of Leviticus. God would cut that person off. Look at verse 27 of chapter 20. A man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. These shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. God had a serious problem with those who practiced any type of magic or witchcraft, anything that was a part of the occult or some type of mysticism, because all of it trafficked with demons. Every single element of it traffics with demonic forces in some form or another. And God recognized that His creation, human beings, especially His people, should have no part at all nor dealings with these demonic forces. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. That'll just be two books past Leviticus. So you got Numbers and then you got Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, look at verse 9 with me. This is prior to them going into the promised land, the land that we would know today as Israel. 
It says in verse 9, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. This had to do with human sacrifice. Or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. Every element of this was connected to the occult. And I'm going to give you a little bit more information about some of this that won't be in your Bible, but uh, we find occultism is condemned by God as being an absolute abomination. And did you know God still condemns it today? We should have no involvement with anything attached to the occult. As, as born-again believers, we should never get involved with that. It is evil. It is dark. I remember when I was a child, I had family members that would bring out Ouija boards, and they would sit us all around the table, and it was just supposed to be good fun. But every single bit of that is connected to demons. And it has no place for a child of God. It shouldn't have any place in your life. You're, you're providing a gateway in your life for demons to enter in and have liberty to project thoughts into your mind, thoughts that may even cause you some type of emotional stress throughout your entire life, that they can bring back memories of your childhood that can cause you to feel crippled mentally and even physically, that you'll never be any good at all for God because demons are constantly active and working in your life, and simply because you gave them a gateway. See, God condemns devils, but the next point is devils. Devils are called on by men. God didn't bring the devil into my life. The devil comes into my life when I am drawn away from God by my own lust. You'll go read that in the book of James. It's not that the devil, God says, all right, Satan, go on and get him. No, 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 it's when I'm drawn away from God that I am tempted, that I am overcome, that I am brought to that place of torment by demons. This is not God's work. This is made possible through sin, through rebellion, and through demons. Even the, did you know even the slightest bit of rebellion in a Christian's life can give place to the devil? That's why Paul said, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a place. Don't give him a stronghold in your life because you never know how those devils will utilize that one little part of your life to bring great trouble and stress and heartache and even possibly sin and more rebellion into your life. Don't give place to demons. Let me talk to you a little bit tonight about familiar spirits and wizards. It's in the Bible here in the passage that we were in. Go back to Deuteronomy 28. It says in verse 9, and it said back in verse 3, it re refers to familiar spirits. This is, this is really just one word. The word is ob, ob. It refers to a necromancer, one who evokes the dead, one that has a familiar spirit. Now, what's interesting, if you study out the familiar spirit, familiar in Western demonology was some type of, of small animal or imp kept as a witch's attendant and given to her by either the devil or another witch. The familiar was a low-ranking demon that assumed any animal shape, such as a toad, a dog, an insect. That's why I mentioned the thing about flies. 
or maybe a spider, or even a black cat. You ever watched a witch movie before? You know, some of this is, we look at it like folklore, but did you know it's actually rooted in something very real for some people? Even the witch's wart. How many of here, how many here have ever heard of a witch's wart? You know what I'm talking about, right? Did you know that the witch's wart is believed to, to basically keep the familiar alive and with the witch? And here's how. The familiar will actually suck blood from either the fingertip of the witch, a wart from the witch, or a mole from the witch. And this is something you could study out from the Middle Ages. This witch of Andor may have actually had a demon assistant that dwelled with her as a pet or animal of some sort. Demons can possess your animals, believe it or not. I believe my dog is probably possessed at times. But seriously, demons possess animals. They're looking for some sort of host. If you remember in the Gospels when they were, uh, there were multiple demons that were inside of one man and Jesus cast them out, and what did he do? He cast them out and they went into the swine. They found a host. And as we provide gateways, we never know how demons are going to come into our lives. They don't just, they're not just a wisp floating around. No, they are interacting with whatever vessel that they have the liberty to go into. They will possess animals. They will possess children. They will possess people. Now, as far as born-again believers, personally, I don't believe that you can be possessed fully by a demon because the Holy Spirit resides in you. But I do believe you can be controlled. He can influence you. He may not be in you possessing you, but He can certainly influence your life. And we see that through the Scriptures, and we see it in people today. So the familiar spirit was some type of demon that was involved in this witch's life. Now, the wizard, which is mentioned there, as she said, uh, he's cut off the familiar spirits and the wizards. The wizard is a Hebrew word, yadonai, I believe is how you would say it, yadonai, and it means a knower or a soothsayer. It means a false prophet, one who's familiar with spirits, one who has the spirit of divination. They traffic with demons. That's what the wizard was. He was seeking out knowledge that was not his. Now, I can go and pick up a book somewhere, you know, and I can read something. The knowledge is there. I can pick up a book, and I can say, okay, let me get knowledge this way. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me to seek out knowledge that is not mine to have, knowledge about the future, knowledge about the next event in my life, through some type of reading or something that was connected to, as I've already mentioned, uh, occult-like things, that is abs- and an absolute abomination in the eyes of God. It's wicked. It's evil. And it is trafficking with demons. And here's how it works. Now, in the case of a demon, for instance, in the book of Acts, there was a woman who was possessed with a demon, and she brought much fortune and gain to the merchants of the area. It's not that the demon could foresee the future, but here's what the demon could do because they work together, and there's a vast multitude of them. One demon is oppressing Starla. Another demon is oppressing Billy. And another demon is oppressing Doris. Billy is wanting to get Doris's money that she somehow inherited. She says, no, you can't have any because you called me a Wolverine. (laughs) Billy's talking to Starla about this. Starla's the one who's going to interact with the demon. Maybe she has the spirit of divination. Billy goes to Starla and says, can you do something about this and let me know what's going to happen? 
Well, she says, oh, yeah, oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, she does her conjuring spell, burns her incense, burns her sage, all that mess. What's actually happening is the demon behind Starla is listening to the conversation. He goes and tells the demon that's behind Doris, hey, we need to make this happen. That goes and tells the demon behind Billy, Billy, you need to do this certain event to make this happen. And then what human beings see is some supernatural work taking place, and it is, but all it is is demons communicating back and forth with one another to make an event take place. They have no power outside of what God gave them, and God did not give them the ability to see the future. So they are manipulating situations, projecting thoughts, projecting feelings, reminding you of something, orchestrating a a, a scenario so that they might accomplish their own will. Demons are evil, and they're very deceptive. A wizard, and I guess I should have referred to maybe Starla as a wizard, but a wizard was a knower. That's one who has a familiar spirit, and because of the familiar spirit, is able to see the future through that familiar spirit. That's what they believed anyway. A wizard would be considered one with magical powers, one who is proficient in the occult sciences. Now, I keep throwing around the word occult, and you're probably wondering, what is he referring to? Okay, occultism. It's various theories and practices involving a belief in and knowledge or use of supernatural forces or beings. It assumes, those who are practicing the occult, it assumes one can manipulate natural laws for a personal benefit or on behalf of another. And I'm going to give you some simple things right now. You ready? Things like this. Does anybody believe in luck here? A lucky item? Got a lucky rabbit's foot? You got a lucky rock? You've got a lucky penny? You've got a lucky horseshoe over the door? You've got a lucky this or a lucky that? How about guys who watch sports games? And when they watch their sports games, they think, I've got to wear a certain pair of shoes and a certain hat, and I've got to have my drink on the right side of the table, and if it's over just a little bit, my team's not going to win. Every bit of that is connected to the occult. And the idea is that even in small things, we are starting to interact a little bit with demons. The little things, lucky items. Another thing that's connected to the occult are spirit stones. And a lot of people have them. I'm going to give you a list of actors and actresses here in a minute that you'll probably recognize in each one of these, almost all of them, carry spirit stones with them. And there's one who is a quarterback for a certain football team whose wife actually does rituals over him, and he believes that's why he won so many games consecutively like he did. Jinx. Anybody heard of that? Oh, man, you're going to jinx yourself. Sure enough, you go out here and you play a game and you're doing well and you say, well, now I'm doing well, and then, oh, man, now I'm not doing well. I jinx myself. That's all connected to the occult. Again, think about it. It assumes one can actually manipulate natural laws for personal benefit or on behalf of another person. That's what the occult is doing through the thinking and the processes. How about wishing? I wish for this. I wish for that. I wish I could, you know, I sure wish that this will happen. Wish upon a star. All that's connected to the occult. This is something, these next few are things that have made their way into Christianity. And if you go and you were to go and join a contemporary church right now, more than likely you're going to see some of this taking place. The occult has made its way into our contemporary churches. Um, Visualization. You visualize it, you'll get it. Go watch a TV preacher for a little while. 
Go watch one of the prosperity guys for a little while. You just visualize that. God's going to give it to you. Visualize and it'll be yours. That's all the occult. That's all that is. Again, attached to demonism. How about this? Meditation. Yoga is very popular right now. And some people take it way too far. The stretching part of it is fine. But the, hmm, i got to find my, my quiet space. I'm out in the middle of water. And there it is. And uh, the wind's blowing. And oh, I feel it. And all that, that's all, again, connected to the occult. So meditation, daily banishing. This is something where you banish things out of your life. In the name of Jesus, this will not be in my life anymore. In the name of Jesus, this will not be in my life anymore. I'm telling you, go watch you some videos from some of the contemporary churches. Many of them are practicing this right now. It is all rooted in demonism, banishing, muttering mantras to yourself, mutter your whatever your mantra is going to be. I'm a strong person. I'm so I'm so great. I'm so beautiful. I'm going to win today. I'm a I'm 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 the winner today. I'm the winner. Yeah, here we go. I'm the winner. It's all it's all rooted in occultism. Using power words. This is something real big in contemporary circles right now. Your power words. We call on you, Jesus, to rise us up and let us be a force for you. And we demand you, Holy Spirit, to come in here and work in this church and move in these people. Next thing you know, everybody's doing this right here and they're rolling around everywhere. That's not God. That's demons. They are invoking the presence of demons in that service. It's all occultism. Some people are trying to control their dreams and they'll read their dreams. They'll have a notebook next to their table and they'll go to, night, they'll go to bed at night and they'll dream something. As soon as they wake up, they'll write down what they dreamed. And then through that, they try to decipher what's the next thing going on in their life. What's the next event that's to come? Should they choose that next job? Should they marry that person? Should they do this? Should they do that? I'm telling you, every single bit of that, every bit of it is rooted in demons. It's all occultism is all it is. Here's some of the names that I was going to tell you about. Every single one of these people make a profession themselves that they have been involved with witchcraft, with mysticism, and directly tied to these things of the occult. David Bowie was a big one. Most people know who David Bowie is, a musician. Okay, some of you do. All right, he was, he's very much involved, so much so that he thought that Jimmy Page, who was the guitarist for Led Zeppelin, was going to put a curse on him. So David Bowie began to keep certain parts, blood and fingernails and even urine, in order to maybe overcome the curse that Jimmy Page was going to put on him. And by the way, Led Zeppelin, you may like the songs, but those guys were influenced heavily by demons. Most of the musicians in the world are influenced by demons. Honestly, I think music is one of those great seducing spirits in the world that most people might say it's better than something from God's Word, but the truth is it's seducing spirits and it's tied to demonism. David Bowie, Jimmy Page. How about Dan Aykroyd? Anybody heard heard Dan Aykroyd before? Never heard of Landon? You've never heard of Dan Aykroyd? That's showing my age and showing your age. Ghostbusters. You heard of Ghostbusters? Okay, he was in the original Ghostbusters movie. He had a bunch of movies. He was a comedian. He grew up in a home filled with spiritualism. And he himself believes in it very much so. He has been involved in seances. He has been involved in rituals. 
and he has been involved in trafficking with demons. Sammy Davis Jr., anybody heard of this guy? Connected to the Satanic Church for many years of his life. Had been involved very heavily in certain seances that were very sensual. Do we think it's a coincidence that these people rise to power like they do and bring in great amounts of money and become idols in the world? Why is it that so many are connected to witchcraft and demons and evil, ungodly, dark things? Now, here's the football player. Believe it or not, Tom Brady's wife, I think her name's Giselle, is a self-professing witch who performs rituals on her husband. And he actually... Uh, attested to going home before a big game, and she would lay stones on him, burn incense, burn sage, chant certain things, and almost perform a ritual over him before he went to his game the next day. And with the New England Patriots, they did pretty well, didn't they? Despite his age, he did pretty well. You know, God's not concerned about our football games. He doesn't care if you win or not. But you know who does like it? The demons. You know why? Because it distracts you from what's most important, which is God Almighty. Madonna, I think we all could agree, she's, she's back crazy. Some other ones that you may not know about, Alan Moore was a comic book writer. And when I was younger, you know, I was real big into comics. I wanted to pursue that as a career. And I got out of it because I realized how evil that whole world is. And Alan Moore wrote uh, one story you might know because they made a big movie out of it, V for Vendetta. Did anybody ever see this or hear of it? He wrote that. Watchmen, he wrote that. He is very heavily attached to Wicca and spiritualism and witchcraft and other things of that nature. Grant Morrison was another comic book writer. He likes to practice what's called chaos magic. And then many of the following names I'm going to give you all say that they bring crystals and stones that they believe are magical along with them before they go to a a new uh, production or uh, concert or something. You've got you've got Ariana Grande. You've got uh, Lana Del Rey. You've got Adele, Stevie Nicks. You even have Elvis Presley who dabbled in the occult, and his wife would would uh, attest to that. Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, they are connected to that. Heather Graham, Katy Perry, believe it. Or not Patrick Swayze, he's dead now, but he was very much into these spirit stones. These th- all of these, and there the list goes on and on and on. Be careful who you worship out there in entertainment land because many of these people are blinded by the God of this world, worshiping him instead of the one true living God. And they're heavily involved in occultism and spiritualism and witch witchcraft and Wicca and demonism like we would never believe. Some of the stories, I have some books in my office, and this is a message for a later time that I'm going to prepare for you, but some of the stories about some of the horrible things that these people have even, not necessarily from this list, but that these celebrities have gotten involved with through these satanic um, forces would make you cringe. I'm telling you. People call on demons. God does not send them to you. People call on them. Don't ever allow a gateway to be open in your life. Otherwise, you'll have demons coming through it, and they will welcome the opportunity to enter into your life. 
In verse 12, we find that God gives a divine response here. I do want to touch on this a little bit before we close tonight. Look at verse 12. And when the woman... Now, let me go back to verse 11 for a second. Um, The woman speaks to Samuel in verse 10, and then in verse 11, then said the woman, so she's going to agree to do this. She says, whom shall I bring up to thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. I need to hear from Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. This was something she had never seen before. She had been trafficking with demons for a good portion of her life, more than likely. She had the familiar spirit there, and she was used to just seeing this same event take place, but this event was different. Something was unique about it. And she cries out with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw God's ascending out of the earth. Now here's something to know about your Hebrew. The word God's from her mouth is the Hebrew word Elohim. To a Jew, they don't refer to it as God's plural. It's just one singular God. And Saul uses the same name Elohim in verse 15 when it says, God has departed from me. See, the witch of Andor didn't know God. She was a demon uh, trafficker. And when she looked out in her vision, instead of seeing the typical figures that she was used to seeing, believing that she was conjuring up the dead, suddenly she sees Elohim. She sees the plural God. That word Elohim does mean it's a plurality, but it's referring to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. She saw the plural God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and it says ascending. Look Look at how it says it there. Ascending out of the earth. What were they going to get? Who were they bringing up? This is unusual. She was scared about what happened. But see, God gave a divine response on this particular occasion for the sake of Saul. And he said unto her, what form is he of? Do you see how Saul made it singular? She said, I see God's plural. He says, but what form is he of? Saul understood the name Elohim as being one. She thought Elohim was meaning many. He says, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul himself perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground, and he bowed himself. A couple things here. I'll give you um, a divine response. The first thing under that is God revealed himself to this group. That's what we see in Elohim, that Elohim ascended up. And Elohim ascended up because he actually, I believe he brought Samuel up for this one occasion. Now, some people say that it was God manifesting himself as Samuel. I believe he actually brought Samuel up. That's why he was ascending up from the earth. Because where was Samuel? He wasn't up in heaven yet. Christ hadn't come. He was in the heart of the earth in Abraham's bosom. And Elohim ascends up with this man who Saul perceives as Samuel. God brought up Samuel. And then God brought up Samuel, and through Samuel, God gave a true prophecy. And he says it in verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Samuel answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me? Seeing the Lord has departed from thee. And he has become thine enemy. Could you imagine God being your enemy? 
And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyedst not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. And then moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. God gave true prophecy. Number one, Saul was the enemy of the Lord. That's why he wasn't speaking to him. And Saul proved that he was God's enemy. You know why? Because he went down to the witch of Andor in order to get answers. Instead of humbling himself before God and begging God to forgive him so that he might speak to him again. He was God's enemy. A sinner is always God's enemy. He has given the kingdom over to David and he rent it out of the hands of Saul. Another prophecy, he will deliver you and Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Meaning, Saul, could you imagine getting a prophecy like this? Tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to be where I am now. You and your sons will be dead tomorrow. And there was no devil in all of creation that could stop the Almighty's power because the Almighty stepped in with a true divine response. God has a truth that He wants to give all of us to guide and direct our lives. He has provided it through His Word. He confirms it through His Spirit. He'll often confirm it through saints. But God wants to give you direction. But when we seek it from other means, and we seek it not according to God's will and God's way, we forfeit what God is willing to offer us. God has the answers. God has the ability. God is, without a doubt, able. And He'll give a divine response as needed. In the last part, verses 21 through 25, we come to a very disappointed end here. And the woman came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled and said unto him, Behold, thine handmaid hath obeyed thy voice, and I have put my life in mine hand, and have hearkened unto thy words which thou spakest unto me. Now therefore I pray thee, hearken thou also unto the voice of thine handmaid, and let me set a morsel of bread before thee and eat, that thou mayest have strength when thou goest on thy way. But he refused, and he said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman compelled him, and he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth, and he sat upon the bed. And the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it, took flour and kneaded it, and did bacon and leavened bread thereof. Boy, that's so sweet of her. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did all eat. Then they rose up, and they went away that night. The disappointing end is this. His, this devil became his comforter. The witch offers comfort, but it's only temporary. It's artificial comfort. You know why? Because God just said, you're going to die tomorrow and all of your sons are going to die too. But what does the devil do? Hey, it's okay, Saul. Let me make you a fat calf. Let me get the kneaded bread. Let's make you some meal. Let's just eat and forget about what, I mean, don't, don't worry about what they said. You don't know that that's going to happen. See, the devil will always offer comfort, but that comfort is only temporary. It is artificial. It is a lie. Those spirit stones I mentioned, it's a lie. The seances, the burning of sage in the house to to try to send demons away, it's all a lie. All it does is welcome them more into your life. It never helps. The only way to see the demons leave your life is when you get on your knees before God and say, God, no, I'm wrong, you're right, let me live according to the way you've told me. And you surrender everything in your life to God, and that's, that's when God shows up and He's active. And he comforts as he's supposed to because he is the God of all comfort. 
And His forgiveness, mercy, and grace are what Saul truly needed, and these demons could offer none of that. And so that brings me to the last point, which is this. Did you know Saul just had his last meal? It was like a man sitting on death row. And here he's going to have his last meal because God's judgment will always fall on the sinner. And this devil tries to comfort a comfortless situation by simply feeding the flesh. And that is what cultism does. In these modern churches that are blowing up with great numbers, go and spend some time watching how they speak to the people. I heard a preacher out of Charlotte the other day made this statement. He said, can you believe it? God had his law for all these years, and then for the sake of you sinners, God broke his law so that you might be saved. That's baloney. God is not a rebel. He didn't break his law. He fulfilled his law so that you might be saved. And the only one who could ever fulfill the law was Jesus Christ, the perfect man without spot or blemish, who came to take away the sin of the world. God never did anything wrong, never has committed a sin, never came short. God's absolutely perfect. But when you get caught up in this mysticism and this occultism mess of mantras and shouting words and condemning down and banishing and this and that, all it'll ever do is lead to trouble and more, more demons in your life. And be careful with the music that you entertain yourself with because there are a lot of seducing spirits that are involved in that. And it will surely pull you away from God, not bring you closer. Shut off the world in every possible way you can and just wait for the quiet voice of God and seek His voice without anything else. And I believe God will speak to us if we do it that way. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you tonight. I sure hope the message was a help. Lord, I just really felt like this was one that was needed, so I pray you're able to use it. Father, we, we, we just want to say that we are, Lord, we're sorry. I believe we need forgiveness tonight. Lord, I know in my own life, I've allowed things in the past to come into my life that I have not recognized as being certainly birthed right out of the pits of hell. Lord, things that are closely tied to demons, and this wicked satanic mess that we find in the world, and these dark forces that stand in opposition to you, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me tonight for these things. I pray you'd purify my home and my life. Lord, help me to be aware of these things. I pray the same for others here tonight. Lord, we're often deceived and overcome by these dark forces, but we know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so help us, help us, Father, to abide in your Son the Lord Jesus Christ, that the light would send the darkness out of our lives and that He would be glorified and that we would be pure, holy vessels that you might be able to use.